and what you're speaking to there beautifully is what we call a fixed mindset. Mm. Well done. Well done. Okay. Right. Tell them. This idea that, you know, failure is a, a limit of my abilities. Show up. You have one person in the room. You bomb. I must suck at this. Next thing. I can't do this. That's a failure. That, that's a fixed mindset. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. A growth mindset would say a failure is an opportunity for growth. Why did I bomb? Hey, do you mind filling out the survey? What didn't you like about the presentation? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mask Unity Podcast. I'm your co-host, Coach Kyle. What's going on? It's Anwar Ahmed, a.k.a. A Square. And today we have a powerful episode coming from the back of Transition and Change. With Transition and Change comes uh, success, comes failure. And those are two concepts that are really important to dissect because what do they even mean? And why are we so fixated on them? What happens when we actually achieve success or failure? How are we approaching those situations? Is there a different way that maybe we can go about navigating our journeys through the success and failures of each individual day? And do we ever stop to maybe take pride in ourselves for how far we've come? These are the kind of questions that promoted this concept today. So we're excited to unpack it. But before we do that, you know what time it is. It's going to be a mood check. <laughs> you trying to do something different with me right there. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm trying to throw you off. For that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Honestly, it was kind of a reaction to this ant that keeps crawling around my laptop. So I was like, oh, don't go in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, say, man, I got I got one tone, one pitch. So you gotta you gotta keep me you gotta keep me in the same arena. You can't just I can't just shift like that. Oh, I'm just like, I gotta keep job. you on your toes, baby. I keep, I'm gonna keep you on your toes even more. You're starting today. What's your mood, Poppy? What's my mood? What's my mood? Hmm. My mood right now. It's a there's a there's a there's a bit of a complex going on in my body. I feel like I feel I don't feel pressure. But I feel like I'm not doing enough. So that's this how I feel. Overarching inner conflict, almost. Mm-hmm. Hmm. For like you know, my whole life I've always felt like my back's been up against the wall. I've always had this constant pressure. I've always had this thing of needing to have to keep at it, keep at the pavement, you know, rest later type of idea. And so for the first time, I'm prioritizing my mental health and my physical health and I'm taking a step back and I'm trying to reanalyze, you know, what's for me, what, 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 what endeavors do I want to pursue, all of those things. And because I'm doing that, my body is resisting this idea of like, what are we doing though? Go, go do something, go physically do something and it's fighting itself. Um, and that, the negative feelings that come with that, I guess, I, I don't even want to say that they're negative, but the feelings that come with that is that you're not doing enough. What are you doing? You know, keep going. Look at that. Look at everybody passing you. And so, though I say, and we preach on this podcast all the time, that the power of slowing down to speed up is monumental. There's definitely a mental battle that comes with that experience, for sure. <laughs> and a 
shit ton of discomfort. Mm-hmm. You you speak uh, to honestly my exact experience this morning. So I I love that that came up, and I appreciate your vulnerability. It's almost as if like, um, it's not it's not almost as if it's literally the in a way it's like an addiction to doing it's like an addiction to pursuit it's an addiction to action it's in a your nervous system is just so used to it it's what it craves so badly so you're like no today i'm gonna take an hour to just be and your nervous system is like to just be what the what the hell does just be mean So it's like, no, I'm going to send all of the signals possible to get your ass out of what you're doing so you can go and do something. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if it, I, don't, I don't know about you, but like feelings like guilt come into play, right? It, it almost feels like I'll give, I'll, give, I'll give two examples. I remember when I traveled to Europe for the first time, I thought that the portions were super small. I remember eating and being like, that's it? And then after, after a while, you just get used to the portion sizes and you just become satisfied with the size that you were given. And I realized I had an obsession with this idea of being super full. And that was mm-hmm. what my body was used to, was being really full. Mm-hmm. So you get used to a feeling and a way of life or a way of eating that when you go do the opposite, there's this emptiness. It's like, I don't feel full right now. So I'm going to order a second meal. Then you start to I, realize, like, am I chasing is full the right feeling or is it the wrong feeling? Maybe I have, maybe the, my perception of being full before was incorrect. Do I even need all that, that lethargic feeling that came with overeating? It was like, that used to be the norm. Then you go to Europe and you're like, these people are literally satisfied with the meal that they got. They don't see it as a small portion. They see it as a perfect portion. Mm. And it makes you think, makes you think. That's mm. the, that's the, 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 the feeling of like the relationship with the rest. It feels like, I've never done this, so it feels so abnormal. But on the other side of it, it also kind of feels like being kind of healthy, like let's say you're on a sports team and you're healthy enough to play, but you're choosing to rest a little bit longer. It just feels like you're not available for your team. You know, it feels like you're selfishly just not showing up for your team but you're like prioritizing yourself. Like you could push it mm. and you probably might hurt yourself a little bit more. You're not fully ready yet, but you're, mm-hmm. you're probably capable. And there's a big guilt that lives in that space where you could probably go, but you shouldn't go, you know, because you're going to get back to the, the reason why you're on the bench right now is because you're hurt. And then you're like teetering on the like, when is the right time to come back? And that's where all the guilt, because when you're injured, you're injured. When you're burnt out, you're burnt out. There's just rest just seems like the right thing to do. Anybody, any person right now who's working or if something were to happen to you, you would get sick, you would have to go to the hospital. I trust me, your bosses, everyone's going to understand. Nobody's going to be on your back. Because yeah. at that point, you're, you're sick. You've got to go straight to the hospital. There's no yeah. arguments there. It's the only option. But what about after day four when you're kind of feeling better, but you're not really? Those are the hard days. Those are the days where you feel like you're letting your team down and the guilt starts to pour in and, and you might, you know, pull shoot because the guilt becomes too much, even though you're not a hundred percent ready to come back into the arena anyways, but you do it because you feel guilty. That's the real mental prison. I think 
that. Mm. That's that's where the real feeling of guilt lives for me. Is mm. is that is when is it the right time to come back? So we're navigating that. Mm. Appreciate you sharing. There's so much depth to that. I love these mood checks because like the philosophical nature of, of our moods tends to come out. Uh, but I won't go down into the deep rabbit hole of that experience because uh, there's so much to decipher and get into, which I love. But I'm just going to speak spe specifically from my mood check in that it's very similar, like I said. Very similar. I woke up this morning and a little earlier, changed up my entire routine this morning, uh, and I could feel so much resistance to it because the the change in routine wasn't doing necessarily like a different routine. It was just allowing the space to offer something different to do. So, you know, I meditated, but then I didn't have a pen to journal. So then I, I couldn't journal. So then I could have re read, but then I thought to myself, like, I don't need to read right now. So then I literally sat in the hammock for like 20 minutes. And the whole, like, not the whole time, but probably the first five to 10 minutes, I was in that inner conflict of like, well, you could go and get a pen or like, I mean, you could, you can read, just go grab the book, you know, or uh, you could probably like make some content for your social media right now. Like, why are you sitting? Like you, you could be doing things. And I sit there and I ponder these thoughts for so long. And I said, no, move through this, move through this. And then right when I'm about to go do those things that I would normally do in the morning, my partner says, hey, let's go to the beach. And hmm. I want to go to the beach. And I said, are you nuts? <laughs> no, I don't want to. You can go. No, I don't want to go to the beach. Obviously, she didn't know in that moment what I was going through in my own mental story. But I just, that was my initial response. I said, no, uh, but you can go. Absolutely. And I'm thinking to myself, this intense urgency that I feel to do these things is for what? Like urgency in so many ways is like a coping mechanism to be, to hide me from my own self in many ways. I need to do this now. I need to get this done now. Like I can't, it cannot wait. Says who? Except anybody else other than my own internal story of how fast I need to accomplish and how much I need to accomplish. And if I slow down, it will mean that I will produce less and worse, or I'll just get lost in the rest. And I, who knows, like you said, when we'll come back. So my mood is gotten to a place after a lot of, of work of feeling very peaceful, feeling very calm and feeling very, the way I phrased it in my actual journaling, when I did get to it was wondrous very curious around just kind of what's going on without trying to control it all and make it all forced. Um, but before that it was, um, tense and rigid and confused and concerned in many ways of what this meant if I didn't do this or if I did do this, so we've worked through a lot of different moods this morning to get to this position. It was not just a jump. It wasn't easy. Um, yeah, that's my mood for the morning. And just for the audience, I think that 
It just happens to be that we record a lot on Sundays, right? Which is a more reflective week True. reflection type of day. So typically some of these, if you're all like, these guys have the craziest moods at all times. I think that <laughs> it, it, it's added. It's, it's always an added element that it's on a Sunday. And I think that we're reflecting on like the whole week. Typically it's the yeah. first time you actually get to slow down uh, in the week for me at least. Um, and so I, I do sit with way more thoughts on a Sunday. So if you're, if, if you're thinking, I don't know how these guys get to these deep, deep moods. Like I can't even think that, that level, like it's, it, it is a riddle, a little bit of reflection too. I will, yeah. I will, I will preface by saying that Sunday I do reflect pretty heavily <laughs> and there's usually a bit more of a long winded um, yeah. mood check. But yeah, if it, you ask me on so a well Tuesday, said. for example, it might be, it might be shorter. <laughs> it, might, <laughs> it might be a little bit more to the point. Oh, um, so well said. Listen, in real life for a second, like it, throughout the week or even just throughout the day, like I prep for these, I know this is coming so I can, I can analyze and I can reflect and I can get ready for it. And I, I don't even have to get ready for it. I just know it's coming. But if I'm about, if I'm going about my day and my partner, Gabby, she comes up to me and we're just like taking a moment where all of our responsibilities are done for that moment. She says, how are you feeling? I was like, who cares? Like, what does my feelings matter? Right. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm. There's more stuff to do today. So like I actually get triggered by the question. I can sense it. It's like, don't ask me that. Like, why don't you just ask me what I'm about to do or something? Like, don't ask me how my feelings are. The trigger is there. So it's real. It's real. It's not always like this in any way, shape or form. Uh, but it's like finding the ability to inject one into the other and the importance of it all. Yeah, that's well said. I'm glad you added that caveat. <laughs> Um, that actually brings up a really good opportunity to segue into the conversation. So I mentioned at the beginning, success, failure, the journey, uh, pride in self, being proud of self, growth mindset, uh, what is failure, what is success? There's so many things to unpack here. And we kind of just ventured into this journey from having conversations with other men and, and realizing that there was a similar struggle in that we, we're not reflecting enough on what we're proud of even in the same day, we're, we're actually more focused on what I didn't accomplish and what I didn't do. And the mental and emotional turmoil that comes from that perspective, and I do that all the time. I find myself not feeling proud of myself whatsoever because I haven't achieved the specific level of success or attainment that I'm apparently looking for. I haven't gotten to the places I want to get to. I sure as heck can't sit in this position of reflecting on my day and saying, oh, I'm so proud of you for accomplishing these things because it's not the thing that I'm chasing. The the struggle within there, it causes a lot of stress, a lot of overwhelm. And there's really no fulfillment for me in that journey. And that's what I've noticed with a lot of the experiences I speak to is there's no fulfillment in that. At least not for me. Maybe I'll just speak personally. I don't feel fulfilled in that because I'm not there yet, quote, quote. So we wanted to unpack that because coming off of transition and change and working towards habits and routines and the new year, and if you will, <laughs> the new year considering September and the opportunity to really kind of dive into things. Um, the first question that we want to start with is, uh, you know, why are we as men so fixated on this idea of success? We'll get into like more of the definition side, but I'm just going to phrase this to you to kind of get the conversation going. Why do you think that men, you and I, and the men we meet, why are we so fixated on this idea of success? There's something on the other side that we want. 
there's something on the other side of success that we deeply want. And some of us don't know exactly what that is, but we just want to get there and we'll decide then. Mm. And it, I think that it's comforting success, kind of the, the seek of success and how it's been portrayed to us in society is that if you can get to whatever that word is or whatever you've defined it, if you can get to that point, especially as a man, this idea that love is on the other side of that word, abundance is on the other side of that word, joy, happiness, peace, all of these things are on the other side of that word. It makes us really fixate on the word success and mm. become obsessed with it because of all the other things that all, it, it's like the gateway to everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of that word. At least that is the perception or that is the, the way society tries to pin it against us. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's why I think that we're so obsessed with the, the word success. Mm. So everything that we're looking for is on the other side of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I well said. It's kind of like the, the US, what are those amendments? Not amendments constitutions i don't know exactly what they are but the one of them it says the pursuit of happiness right mm -hmm. similar to the pursuit of sex success it's like it's on the other side of your pursuit it's on the other side of this allotted time and it refers back to me even almost as re retirement you know 65 70 on the other side of that is everything you've been looking for interesting Okay, so we're so fixated on that timeline, on that specific narrative. And, you know, what do we lose in the process? You know, what's the struggles and the challenges that we come by in the midst of all of that? And you spoke to it about burnout already. So there's obviously that huge narrative. Um, and I wonder too, when we, we talk about this idea of like, why are we so fixated on it? I think I can hear the rebuttal of like, I'm not, fixated on it like success doesn't matter to me which brings up another part of this conversation like is success something that we fear we want but we fear we don't maybe we don't know that there's an underlying drive that might be stressing us out but we still fear it anyway we don't want to go down that road because we see what other people what is done to other people we're scared of that pressure we're scared of how that might influence our life if we get to this position of feeling like it's a success what do you think and about I that think I think the one I agree. I definitely think that there's a lot of us that, you know, even fear the idea of success and we're scared of it. And it's part of the human nature, right? I think that we're scared of success sometimes because we visualize failing way more than we visualize success. And that's the human that's the human mechanism. We're in defense mode all the time. Success is out there. It's a dream but we don't anchor ourselves in dream. We anchor ourselves at being attacked. Like we'll protect ourselves as like, we'll think about if you have a business, you'll think about all the reasons why it might fail and build a wall up around that versus all the reasons why it could succeed. The abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. I think that, mm. you know, as humans, we're very, very well equipped for protecting ourselves, whether it's our emotions, whether it's our dreams, whether it's, that just holding tight to what we have instead of being mm. in a mindset of like we like we'll go to bed and visualize the worst you know well think said. about think about think about giving a, a big speech or a big talk the night before what are you thinking about 
<laughs> I can, there's so many thoughts in my head. I'm thinking about what if I trip over my words? What if I say the wrong thing and offend somebody? What if um, I trip on stage? What if I freeze and everyone makes fun of me and now I'm no longer invited to any more speaking engagements? That's where my head instantly would go. And it just shows you how the mind is wired. We're wired like that. That's how we're naturally wired. So when you think about visualization, we typically, I just started reading Think and Grow Witch, but I can already see where it's going. If you're thinking about failing, if you're thinking about stumbling on your words and that's where your brain is fixated on is not messing up. Well, does it even have the opportunity to think about it? How, what about if this goes well? What if I get a standing ovation? Mm. What if I crush this? What if I like, I resonate with people so deeply that this is, we don't, we don't, we don't want to spend enough time thinking about that. And that's why I say we're scared of success mm. because we're wired a, to think about how to not mess up and B that feels like an easier thing to work around, strategize around than spending more time on like actually thinking about the, the good that could come. So just, a, just, a, but I do think that the, the deep rooted reason why men are so fixated on success, like under like the fear of the, you know, the fear of success is one thing. I think the real, real, real thing is that this, there's a lot of men out there who are living, let's call it a meh life. And they so deeply, badly think that once I achieve this, I will get that. Once I become somebody, then I will be worthy of X, Y, and Z. And that I think is the real mental prison that we operate in is this, this perception that we're not worthy in the moment. We're not worthy right now. We're not, we don't deserve the things that, you know, could come our way. And that, that expectation kills us. I think. Mm. You, you speak of it really well as if, you know, maybe it's more nuanced, but as if you've been there, as if you've lived it and been through it a lot, which I would grant being a man, generally, we almost all of us go through that. Uh, this idea of being so incredibly fixated on success. Do you feel like you're still in that journey? Do you feel like you're moving through it? Do you feel like you're learning how to manage it? Where do you feel you're at? Um, and what's that specific experience like for you? This is, this is an area of my life that I definitely think that mentality-wise, I'm proud of some of the shifts I've made in the perception of success because you start to realize that you meet people who have everything that you, know, you thought would make them happy. You know, they have the money, they have this, they have that. You meet them and they're miserable. And you mm -hmm. go, oh, maybe it's, not on, maybe it's not after that. And you meet people who are the other end of the spectrum, they don't have very much and they still have, they're still able to manifest a bunch of things into their life and they don't have any of the uh, any of the societal piddlers of like what a successful man has so that makes you start to rethink things it makes you start to recalibrate things but the visual that comes in my mind because i'm a very you know visual metaphoric type of person the visual that comes in my mind is there's a lot of times where i was in my car my journey of life and i was like are we there yet 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 and i lived like that just head down, asking myself constantly, are we there yet? And it's an annoying answer, you know, being a parent in that car, you're like, shut up, kid. 
we're not there yet <laughs> you know and that was that i felt like that was what the universe's voice was to me like you need to keep quiet like you're not there yet you know and it was a frustrating question to kind of always be met up with resistance like you're not there yet you're not there yet. and you use your environment to validate those reasons of clearly i'm not there yet i don't have this i don't have this i don't have this okay head down head down head down and i'm proud to say that like you know in the last couple of years i've realized that it's not about asking about are you there yet it's about what's outside the window right now what area of your life are you driving through right now what fields are you looking at mm -hmm. Look out the left side of the window. Look out the right side of the window. It's not a matter of we're not going anywhere. It's you're being asked questions about what you're looking out of the window right now. Someone's going to ask you a question about that. You better have an answer for it. You're going through an experience right now in life that you're not paying attention to that you're going to be asked questions about later. Right? It's this idea, the the the, the cool part, the, the cool you know revolutionary thought for me was this idea that i'm going to get to the part that i wanted to be at let's say the opportunity let's call it the you know the break breakthrough moment and i'm going to be asked what chapter did you just drive through and i'm not going to have the answer because i wasn't paying attention and they're going to be like oh well i can't give you the opportunity because had you had had the answers then this would have been your breakthrough moment but because you were so fixated on getting here and you didn't pay attention to anything that you just passed you're going to do this test again because you're not ready. Mm. And so I'm now in the mindset of collecting things from every chapter of my life. So that if you ask me at any point, what were your, what were your late twenties? Like, what were your early thirties? Like, what were your, I can live and be like, I was present in those times. Mm. I wasn't just so fixated on being 40. I was present at 31. Mm. I was present at 33. And I can, I can paint you the picture of what those years looked like for me because that's what the real test is, is are you paying attention? Are you awake? Are you living? Mm. And so that shift for me has gone from, are we there yet? To where are we now? Mm. And that's the podcast, folks. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Just kidding. That was a great, uh, that was powerful. That was deep. Um, where am I going versus where am I right now? And I was thinking about in, in pre preparation for this episode about presence. And I thought to myself, that just feels like the right word to use. And the word that, maybe not the right word, the word that aligns with me in regards to how you would start to measure or not even measure, but just view success. How present can I be in each moment? And then literally my follow-up question was, but how do you measure presence? <laughs> like I need to be measuring my success. I need to be measuring it for some reason, some way, somehow for myself, for my own inner validation or for others so they can validate it. Cause I have all these measuring sticks of success that I've tracked. But what I like about what you just said is it gave me context that you can actually measure how present you are by utilizing the power of reflection is going through your day and being able to be present with everything. And then at the end of it, asking yourself, what happened today? What was my day like? Was I paying attention? What do I remember? And this goes to a, I guess a practice, if you will, of just asking that simple question at the end of the day, what 
did I do today that I feel I'm proud of? Or, you know, what did I enjoy about my day? Or was there a moment where I felt like I experienced the depth of my life? What happened in my day? Or was it just another day? Because you know, for me to get in maybe even to the next part of the, the conversation around how do we first personally feel about the concept of success and what is our definition, a big part of, of my internal narrative is the word fulfillment and the word aliveness. They're words that I feel like I've been chasing for a really long time rather than embracing. You know, I've been chasing rather than embracing and reminds me of that experience where I was actively journaling and I was noticing that that I felt more alive each day because at the end I knew I was going to be reflecting so I was almost unconsciously looking for things throughout my day to be proud of to enjoy to be present to be aware of to live fully in uh, kind of just reprogrammed my brain in that way but um, yeah I think I just I really resonated with that in a way that that tracking experience because then also too i get to live it in that way you know i get mm -hmm. to process things in that way i yeah. love that you made that correlation because it's powerful and it's very very true it's very very true i think that one of the best measurements of presence is reflection right i think back to some of the traveling that i did and i can tell i wasn't present because i can't remember it mm. You know, when I get when I get put up again, when someone asks me, oh, what was this or what was that? Like my lack of presence shows because I just wasn't really there. I was physically there, but mentally I wasn't really there. You see this in in, in even smaller capacities when you ask somebody, oh, how was your weekend? And the more present they were, the better, the sharper the answer. Oh, I did this. It was my favorite this and it was my favorite this. And you could tell who was the tag along when they're like, oh, I can't even remember what I did this weekend. Um mm. That's an absent, that, that, that's a mind absentness. Your mind wasn't there because you're so fixated on some different things. Mm -hmm. Right? And you miss, you miss life because of this idea. Because where you're presently sitting, you're so uncomfortable with and you just, you want to be somewhere else so bad that you're willing to not even engage in where you're at at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that really the real measurement of where you're going is understanding where you're at. That is the real measurement. Because the habits that you have right now, the things that you're doing right now, the things that you're thinking about, your presence, all of that, everything that you're doing in the current moment is the best marker for where you're going. In my opinion. And so it's, it's almost counterintuitive that, you know, you want to think that, oh man, being more present is going to, is going to take me away from my future. It's actually the opposite in my experience. The more present I've become in life, the sharper my trajectory has been. Mm -hmm. The more lost I am in the present moment, the more like I have, I'm not connected to it at all. I don't know what I'm around. I don't know who I'm around. I'm so futuristic. I'm so in my head about where I'm trying to go. The the more crooked the the target is, the more mm -hmm. moving the target is, the more uncertainty I feel in my life. So it's really weird. It's an interesting kind of thing that the more present I am, the sharper the target, the more distant I am, the blurrier the target. Mm.
So something that Anwar and I both deeply value in our lives is personal development and not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk, which is one of the fundamental reasons why we created this podcast is to support you in having the tough conversations and then feeling confident and safe to take new action with this new knowledge. So what we've decided to do to support you in this is we've partnered with Men's League, a men's mental health platform whose biggest focus is to make a systemic shift in how we view what being a man is and what masculinity entails. Their mission is to provide a diverse group of like-minded men with a support system surrounding their mental health, their physical health, their financial aptitude, and their personal relationships. Men's League is a space where you commit to improving yourself. You commit to improving your mental health and becoming a better man. So what does Men's League offer? Well, let's get into it. First and foremost, they're a private community for men, which includes a chat forum and also monthly Zoom calls where you come together, discuss a topic, and you just partake in conversation with other men. I've taken part in so many of those. They're one of my favorite things. Mental health check-ins. So this is huge. This is unlimited 45-minute sessions with mental health professionals. Incredible. You always have that help at your access. Discounted one-on-one and group coaching services, a whole mental health resource library to help you manage your day-to-day and real-life issues, exclusive membership offers. This is cool. They have discounts for men's clothing and health products. And this is my personal favorite part because I've partaken in it a lot, is professionally made online self-development courses that you can take at your own pace. They're always available to you and they'll help you with your relationships, your physical health, and your financial aptitude. So if you're looking to get involved, we in Men's League are excited to offer you a 50% off of your first year membership. To do, to join the league, go ahead and click that link in the bio or go to mensleague.com. And don't forget to enter a promo code MODERNMASK50 and get access to everything they have to offer. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. We'll see you back in the episode. I like that. Definitely worth unpacking in there. It's interesting uh, that something that came up as we were just discussing that, that isn't really, really necessarily on that point, but the difference between, you know, my partner and I and her being a woman, me being a man and the difference in the way we, we choose to operate and how we move forward. And something that came to me was the hilarity of being a man is very much like, I need to measure this. (laughs) like I need to have proof. (laughs) I make myself laugh because I do it every day. And I Mm -hmm. still know the hilarious um, paradox of it, the lack of necessity that really is in there. But I feel like I should probably measure it. I I should have this proof uh, instead of just actually living in it. And for her, like she doesn't feel the necessity to at the end of the day reflect and say you know what did I do great today and what am I proud of today because throughout the day she was feeling herself like she was Mm -hmm. feeling experience she was feeling the work she was embracing the the present by just feeling the present and the it just makes me laugh looking at myself like Yes, you know, I still want to get things done. And, and this isn't to say that I'll necessarily change this narrative. I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's it just I notice that on the days where I am feeling into the moments while still taking care of the moments, you know, still like creating and building and 
working, if you will, uh, if I'm more present and in tune with that moment at the end of the day, see, no, I'm going to counter myself again. Where I'm getting to is this phrase that came to me that says we're so lost in the pursuit of tomorrow and not enough focus on the pursuit of the now. Mm -hmm. And so when I was thinking about at the end of the day, journaling, that's still the pursuit of later. It's not enough pursuit of now, like the pursuit of this moment, even just with you having this conversation. Like, how do I determine if this conversation was a success or not? Well, I'm probably relying on how I feel when it's all over. But in this moment with you right now, I feel the profound nature of this philosophical con- context we're speaking to. I can f- I'm feeling into it. So in this moment, I feel like I'm, it's a success, quote, quote, because we're being so mm-hmm. present with each other and having this chat. But if I wasn't focused on that, then I was waiting for the end to be like, hmm, I wonder how good that was. And I'm so lost and forgetting and missing and avoiding and suppressing this moment with you right now. So this holds no value to me if I'm just beyond it. So then maybe I won't feel good about it after. And I'll be like, well, you know, the conversation was okay. And we talked about some good things. And that's where it would end. Rather than, oh man, like there was this moment where I felt the depth of this experience. And I noticed and I just... I just couldn't believe how crazy that con- that point of the conversation was. So different. So I'm going to counter my own narrative of like, yeah, when I said journaling at the end of the day will promote you to think, you know, oh, I got to do this end of the day, so I should probably do this now. It can maybe be used as motivation, but I think it still gets lost in the sauce of feeling like you can then praise yourself later. It's still the pursuit of happiness. It's still the pursuit of success. And I, again, I don't want to speak to that as if it's a negative thing. I think that's how we get things done in this world. I think that's how we build and how we've gotten to where we've gotten. And there are uh, countless amounts of positive things to say about pursuing success. But I think what this conversation is designed to do is add layers to that conversation that allow you and I and the listener to breathe through that process to feel like I can breathe in my belly rather than my chest. And I think you really, really spoke on really, why do we need to measure everything? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why does everything need to be measured? Right. I think that you said something so potent a couple episodes ago when you were talking about facts over feelings and feelings over facts or, Mm. you know, being able to understand when, you know, when you're in a very intimate setting and someone is explaining their feelings, you know, you need to address their feelings with feelings, you know, Mm. and, you know, put their feelings first and put the facts second. I think that kind of speaks to how this idea of trying to measure everything, not everything needs to be measured. You don't need to leave this conversation and measure the conversation based on what, what parameters, what are your KPIs for this conversation? There is none. (laughs) This is a conversation. There is no KPIs here. Right. And if you, and if you're, if you're in your journal trying to figure out KPIs, it's not a sales meeting, sir. This is, Mm. this is just real life. You know? So I think that like, you know, the same way facts, you know, facts and feelings are different. You need to not have to measure everything up against success. Now, is it a great indicator when you can do that? Yeah. 
if I'm in a, if I'm in, you know, let's say I'm trying to get better at shooting a basketball, going 10 for 20 is a good marker for me. Okay. hundred percent. If the goal is to shoot this percentage, that's lower than the percentage I'm trying to shoot. I probably got to put more practice in. These are great markers for indicating success there. And that exists in the world, but it's not a one size fits all with everything in your life. You can't KPI your way into a relationship. Mm. You can't KPI your way out of a relationship. It's you have to be present. You got to be able to. You got to be able to feel. You got to be able to have feeling, and feeling will allow you to. And weirdly enough, I actually when I've I've always I've always I mean I did a shooting example there for basketball, but it's something that I actually do. So when I do drills in basketball, and I go you know I, I'm aiming for a number. I'm actually focused on how how the shot felt. I don't actually fixate on the the result because there's times where I can shoot a ball and it'll go in based on muscle memory, but it didn't feel good. It's just going in, right? But the touch is missing, mm. right? And that's a false that's a false number. Say you go 18 for 20, but like every single shot you were insecure about, but they, mm. the results happened to be 18 versus 20. I didn't feel in control of those shots. I didn't feel like you no. Know, I didn't. It didn't feel good, but the numbers say that I shot amazing. I got 18 out of 21 in. So it's like, you know, you got to disconnect sometimes the numbers from the feeling. You got to be able to understand mm. like, hey, are these results skewed? Do you feel good? Like, how do you feel about the result? How does the result make you feel? That's a better indicator of, you know, that's a better mm. KPI if you want to measure KPIs. And then mm. understand that KPIs don't need to be measured in every single goddamn thing in your life. Because mm. what is like what is success in some of these some of these areas? Success in yeah. sales makes sense. This is our goal. This is the number. Yeah. Cool. Boom. 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 Easy. But you can't. There's that doesn't exist for everything. Yeah. That's so well said. Wow, that's profound. I don't know if you really really caught that because I would imagine some of the greatest players ever, when they're focused on winning um, more than they are feeling the game, they probably win less. I would imagine because a huge portion of sports, and this can be applied, I think, to life in general, a huge aspect of sports is feeling the game. It's things that are many times in many of the greats, they can't quantify for you. They can't put into a practice or a routine. It's a feeling. And the feeling comes from paying attention to the feelings that get you to this feeling. <laughs> and those are things you cannot quantify. I'm feeling into this experience. So I'm feeling into what my opponent is doing. I'm feeling into what my body is saying. I'm feeling into the rhythm of the dance, the choreography of it all. I'm feeling into all of that. And that allows me then to perform at such a high level. Musicians are a great example. Their measure of success probably isn't perfection or a perfect show, but the perfect show could still come because their focus would be, can I feel myself into this music? Can I mm -hmm. enmesh myself? Can I dissolve my body into the sounds that come out of this piano or the saxophone or this microphone that I'm singing? Can I just be with that? Can I feel that? And you can hear that in the greatest singers. They jolt your system. You feel it through their voice. So it goes back to that sense of almost how alive are you in those moments, that aliveness, that sense of fullness in your body, in that human. That was one of the things that I had, the word that came to me in preparation for this episode is aliveness. Success, I would like to pursue in a way, if there's something I'm going to pursue, is pursue how alive I can be. 
how alive I can feel in these experiences of life. And that then will allow me to produce great things in this world. It doesn't mean I don't stop producing or stop creating. It means I feel alive in as many moments as possible throughout the entire process. And mm. that to me would describe enjoying the journey to the fullest depth. 100%. Because if you, I mean, God damn. If you, I mean, if you think about, you know, a celebrity or, you know, someone who's going on tour, what is success to that person? What is success to Jay-Z right now? How does he wake up and go, I'm going to go get it today? Everything you think is in, like, all your versions of success he's achieved. What is he trying to achieve? So how do those people wake up? Mm. And when you unpack that, it's, they want to feel alive. They're chasing being alive and being, creating something that makes them feel alive again. Because the KPIs that you have for your life isn't the KPIs that they're running off of. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why they say once you, you Jim Carrey said, I, I wish everyone could be famous, have money and do whatever and realize yeah. that like that, that doesn't really, that's, they're still, yeah, you think that those are the really KPIs after. for life. And once you get those KPIs, you realize that, oh, it's just another box that's checked. Right. So I, I love that you tied that in because it's, it, it is the feeling of feeling alive. It's doing things that make you feel alive. Uh, uh, the, the real, you know, feeling you're, you're probably looking for is the, the just feeling connected to yourself and feeling alive. Mm-hmm. And because you feel to be, to feel alive, you got to be very present mm-hmm. to feel alive. You got to be very present. Present so in I think your mind I and present in your body. That last part is really messing me up in my journey right now. Understanding how to be present with my body. That's a confusing narrative sometimes for me. Just wanted to add that in because that's something that I'm currently working on. As I sit here with this, I'm like, I'm present. That's a great tree over there. I can see that tree. I know I'm looking at that tree. That's presence, baby. Told you I got it. Like I can feel it, right? <laughs> the intellectual presence. And then it's like, but like, what's happening around me fully? Like the depth of it all. Can I, can I feel it? Is it possible to feel this experience? Or do I just logically look at it and say, yeah, you know, this is beautiful. But can I feel that beauty? Can I feel into that beauty? I don't, I, in this moment, I don't, I can't fully answer it because it's difficult. And it tells me in that moment how disconnected I am from my body. Standing on the most beautiful ocean side, for example. Can you feel that experience or are you just looking at it cognitively and saying, yes, it's beautiful? Such a difference, right? Such a difference. And ask yourself why. You know, I think mm. that we, we can get, you can get, we can get deeper. Ask mm-hmm. yourself why. It's because you've been conditioned to suppress. It's because you've been conditioned to not feel. Here we are trying to say, hey, everything, all the things that you want in success are actually feeling in the present moment, being alive, you know, feeling where you're at, feeling what you're doing, considering, you know, how the KPIs you're using to measure your life, how they actually make you feel other, mm-hmm. other than a number on a piece of paper, other than a, you know, this is the amount of weight I want to gain, this is the amount of weight I want to lose, how much money I want. Like these numbers are great. I, I, I actually am a, I had to re- recreate the relationship with materialistic things. Mm. Because I was never a material person. 
but I realized the power of leveraging materialistic ideas and goals as a way to like actually move for like uh, things in my life forward. Mm-hmm. If I get, if I, if I hit a million dollars, I'm going to buy a Rolex. It's a very materialistic goal. It's very, very KPI, very, very masculine, nice goal. This number, this Rolex yeah. done. Great. There's a lot of people that resist that goal setting because they're like, oh, you're materialistic. The way I view it though is, hey, if I get to a million dollars, all the all the things that I'm going to be able to help with, all the things that I'm going to be able to you know, pursue, all the good things that I have in my mind that I want to do, I'm going to be able to do if I hit that number. And every time I wear that materialistic watch, it's going to re- remind me that I am capable of setting a goal and doing it mm. because the watch represents something that it was an achievement, right? Mm-hmm. And then now when we recalibrate this back to this idea of fear of failing, right? These are the, some of the negative emotions that come with fear of failing. Hopelessness, anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, disappointment, embarrassment, shame. It's a lot of negative emotions. It's a lot of reasons why someone might not want to pursue something, just the pure fear of feeling any of those things. Mm. But if you push through some of those feelings and you continue to push, and then you have a what I call a tamp, uh, like a timestamp or a benchmark, like a Rolex, because you've hit a certain goal. Because you didn't just buy it materialistically, you actually used it to, you know, get yourself to a certain place. Well, then now when I'm facing all those fears inside, and I'm like, I'm like, like trying to believe the the low self esteem, I can just look down at my wrist and say, oh, there's a marker right there. Because we forget what we accomplished, right? So for me now, materialistic things have become my way of recalibrating this idea of look how far you've come. Because if there's not enough markers in my life to show me like, look how far you've come, I might, I might just never breathe into that. I might just never breathe into that. Mm. But if I just set up little tiny markers along the way, anytime someone says, oh, yo, that's a nice watch. Yo, hey, my thanks, man. But that's not riddled in signaling. That's riddled in... He recognized the watch. That watch represents me hitting a milestone. Damn, you're doing good, man. Look how far you've come. Right? It's a completely different shift of using a material item to, to make you feel like more present, more alive. Because mm. we're so good at breathing into the opposite end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sitting there for a second. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I if I agree necessarily, but then you added more context because obviously there's going to be my own internal story that says, um, you know, mater- being materialistic is a bad thing, right? Like, I think that's how we've kind of phrased it in society now. It's like, if you're materialistic, there's something wrong with you. Uh, and so being open to that expression of yours just now, what I think I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the watch is a representation of your journey to get the watch it's not even really about the watch necessarily. It's a representation of what it took to get the watch, the grit, the hard work, the inspiration, the day in day out um, perspective, the growth, the challenges, uh, all of the effort that you had to put in to get there, the watch is a representation of that effort, not necessarily the only vision and only reason you're ever doing it is to get the Rolex so that you have the Rolex. No, it's so that when I get there, I can buy the Rolex to signify like, oh shit, like effort was put in here. Did I wrap that round kind of right? The watch represents my growth and mm. not, not the end result. Got the it. The watch represents everything I've become to get the watch. 
Beautiful. It's a reminder of that. I love that. Because if I it, don't have the physical watch, I might forget everything mm. that I've endured, everything that I've become, you might, I might forget. And I want to mm. share this story because it's such a potent time in this conversation. I had a friend ask me, I told her that I was feeling disconnected with intuition. I had been following my gut my whole life. You know, and that was one of the downsides of this burnout that I was experiencing was that it made me fall out of tune and out of touch with like the things that were naturally leading me before intuition, curiosity, excitement, passion, all of those indicators were becoming numbed by the workload. Numb. I wasn't feeling passion anymore. I wasn't feeling intuition anymore. I wasn't feeling creative anymore. All these like markers that I usually was leveraging was were getting pushed down and they just they were getting replaced with things like anxiety and like, you know, tiredness and, and you would just wake up and your, and your, your only goal is let me just get through the day. Like frick feeling anything. I just want to get through the day. Right. And I was telling my friend this and, you know, I was telling her, I feel like intuition was like usually my, like it used to be my best marker. Like I had never done anything in life. All of my hunches, I, t I, I just believed in them. Mm. The hunch to move on my own when I was really young was just a hunch didn't have to do it. It was a decision that it felt like felt right. The decision to pursue a degree in business felt right. I didn't know if it was the right thing for me to do. The, the These were just like markers and hunches. It was almost like a, a guiding light almost. I just kind of like went within. I was like, how does this feel? Mm -hmm. uh, I like it, go. And I was really numbed out for a while. No intuition. Like I had no, I was like, man, I feel really lost right now. I feel like I have no, nothing guiding me at all. I don't have a single hunch on what I want to do next. And it's a scary place to be. And she asked me a simple question. She said, out of all those hunches, do you regret any of them? Every one of those hunches that you had that you kind of just like, you know, took a, took, a, took a gamble and you just kind of trust your intuition, do you regret any of them? And it was the first time I had to like really deeply reflect on something like, I remember being on my patio in Toronto, looking out and having to realize like, really being faced with like, she asked me really what she asked me was how far have you come? And it like, I could have like cried in that moment to be honest, because the 18 year old Anwar that like made the decision when I left my, I remember that call with my mom, like, Hey, I'm going to choose to stay in this city. I'm going to figure it out. That 18 year old had no idea what the hell he was signing up for. Like zero idea was just going to go figure it out. And here I was, I had accumulated so many different life experiences. I had like got the degree, I had traveled, I had moved to big cities. I had like done all of these things and feeling so like unworthy at my lowest confidence level. And it was just like, if that 18 year old was standing in front of me right now, he'd be like, damn, bro, you did all of that. That's kind of <laughs> crazy. And it was like, oh, fuck, maybe I am proud of myself. Maybe I gotta calm down a little bit. I've done a bit. I've done a little bit. And that, mm -hmm. breathing into that, I remember saying to her, I'm like, I'm gonna live in this little moment for a little second. This feels good. Because usually when you wake up, especially me, I'm like five years ahead in my mind, it's like borderline impossible to think about where I've come from. Mm. Borderline impossible. It's not where I live. 
it's always about like where I'm going. And for the first time I was breathing in what being proud of yourself felt like. And it was like, I had never felt that before that deeply. Um, but it was, it was a very powerful moment. It was a very powerful moment for me. And I think mm -hmm. that that moment will now live as a timestamp tying this back into the Rolex situation. I have to remember that moment without a material item, right? And now I have to remember that conversation as a way to like hold that feeling that I had, that proud feeling that I'm going to hopefully leverage later on. And all I'm saying is that a Rolex, if you close, if a material item is placed in a place that can give me that feeling again, and it can constantly be a reminder every time I see it or I engage in it, I'm like, hey, right? Because you just made me remember that conversation with her. And that it brings me back to that feeling and that feeling feels really good. Now, what if like all these material things that I accumulate give me these small feelings of proud moments of myself, proud feelings of myself, moments where it triggers that like happiness that like I felt in that moment that I could hold on to like, wow, man, you've done a lot. That's what I want material things to feel like for me. I want mm. them to be reminders of look at how far you've come. Mm -hmm. Look at how far you've come. And it's harder to do when you're just holding on to a conversation or, you know, luckily I, that's a deep friend of mine and I won't remember that. I won't ever forget that moment because of how potent it felt, but smaller moments in life will escape us because we don't remember, you know, that was a monumental moment and sure we'll remember those, but like, what about when you got your first sale, your first sale should feel something. You should feel proud of your first sale, but because it's so insignificant to you right now, you might not remember it. Mm -hmm. But because if you got, say you got your first sale and then you went out to dinner to this fancy restaurant, every time you think about that restaurant, you'll remember your first sale. See how a material thing can remind you of a good moment of your life? It's way different than signaling, way different. And if you can reframe it in the right way, it's a very, very powerful tool. Mm. Well said. Beautiful story. And add so much more context and depth to the experience and pursuit of the Rolex and the journey and just allowing all of us to kind of get into this understanding that it doesn't have to fit somebody else's model of how they go about their life. It, none of this idea of success is fixated. Even the one that we're given is still not fixated. It's still unique in its own way and how we pursue it is still unique in our own way. And yet, for some reason, at least I'll speak for myself, I do feel like there's a way I'm supposed to be doing it. But there was never something that said, do it this way. But it was something that I just felt like as if there was a specifically right answer, a specifically right decision that I should make next, a specifically right amount of this or visual of this and I'm supposed to have when that was never actually given to me. There was never that guideline. So where did it come from? And, in, and maybe that's not even a helpful question at this point. It's where did it come from? It's what do I want it to be? What is the journey I want to embark on? What are the decisions I want to make? You talk about intuition here. It's what is the decision that feels right in that moment? It may feel scary still, but it's it, when you left and embarked on those adventures, they just felt right. They just, 
intuitively in your body with maybe even when you weren't paying attention to it at that time of your life, they just intuitively felt right. So you just did them. And those were incredibly difficult and challenging decisions still, but they felt right to you. So what is that felt right decision that you can make next? Uh, that's what I would like to ask myself more often. And what is the f- next decision that feels right rather than the one I'm supposed to? My partner and I have this joke running right now, but it's more of um, a call forward to each other is, well, we're trying to pay attention to when one of us says, I should probably do this right now. And then we stop each other and said, you should? Because that's a sign that in many ways, we in that moment feel like there is a supposed to be right next choice to make. Instead of saying, okay, I need to do that for this specific reason, or this feels right to me. So how about I take that on instead of I should go do that. Or I, you know, I shouldn't go sit by the pool because I have stuff to do that I probably should do. When none of that feels right, none of that feels okay. And at the end of the day, you won't feel fulfilled by it. You won't feel alive by it because it's a should based on, again, this imaginary elusive map of success that exists somewhere in our mind developed by what we witnessed at some point. I don't even know. Like it's literally, it's so imaginary and so elusive that we can't describe it. So this idea kind of really gets us deep into this conversation around what is that uh, context of success we have for ourselves, for our own individual lives. What is yours? What does that mean? What's the mentality, the attitude, the feeling behind it all? What is uh, the things that you feel you have to face and embark through to get there? Is it something you can feel now? What is honoring the journey? All of these statements that we're told, can we define them for ourselves? Can we create them for ourselves? And can we feel really the most important question for me on my journey is can I feel safe in that can I feel okay in that because if I'm making it for myself well shit that means I'm not doing it so you'll validate it what if you don't then shit what am I supposed to do with that if you don't validate it isn't that what I'm seeking that's what I isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing is to pursue it all so that everyone else can see it that they can know that I did it that they can validate it and agree with it and make me feel witnessed in it. And I think that's such a human thing. And at the same time, is that the journey that I want to be on? Is that the journey that feels right to me? And if it does, beautiful, do it. If it fulfills the shit out of you, do it. And if you're in a position like me where it's has come to a screeching halt in many ways great then make that change start doing things that you want to do create the things you want to create my partner and i creating this life specifically as an example that we wanted to create that wasn't for the appeasement of other people and wasn't for their validation you know i'm going through a visual change i'm growing on my hair for the very first time because i want to not because it makes other people happy that makes me feel like i'm living a successful life i'm gonna get a tattoo here for the first time in my life. I don't have tattoos, but I don't have tattoos because my idea of success was that you're tattooless. And that was based on somebody else's definition of what success visually looks like. So now I'm asking myself, do I want one? Is it something that might align with me? 
sure. Let's start asking the question here. And more information on this Lex part to come, but I'm going through a name change as well because it's like, what, what am I living under? And what, what am I living under the realm of? And why? And can I make a different decision? Do I have the power to do something different that's self-created from my own self-leadership rather than created for me? Rather than told I'm supposed to be this specific self. Can I be self that I intuitively feel better about and feel aligned with? Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing to add there is that as humans, we love the opposite, right? Sometimes when we ask ourselves those questions, we just like, you know, we overcompensate by going the opposite direction. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, 25 the tattoos. Ask, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And I think the important <laughs> thing to ask yourself is, are you doing it because you want to, and it, it feels innately right to you? Hit or em. are you doing it because you're rebelling or you're, you're trying to, you know, prove another part of you that's you know you're trying to validate something else you know i think it's if you just go tit for tat it doesn't really work either right so we love opposites we love the fuck i love that because rebellion is still a search for validation it's still a search if i get 25 tattoos then the validation i get from you is how could you do that but it's still it's still the, the attention it's still what i've been seeking it's the same just on the other side so well said. Thank you for adding that caveat. So well said. I think we get tra- we get trapped in that. I've been trapped in that a lot, a lot in my life. You know, I uh, I don't drink. I don't do um, certain things in my life, and so sometimes I feel like I have to overcompensate to make up for the gap because I've I've chosen to do a decision, and it's like now I have to be. I have to have a reason because there was in the earlier drinking days, I've had many different excuses. I'll, you know, why I wouldn't drink. I would say, I don't drink because of this. And then that wouldn't feel right to me. Then I would say another one. Then I would say another one. I would just try to find the next one that felt the best for me. And, you know, some of them were, you know, in the later years, it would be along the lines of, no, I, I care about the next day, for example, or like I care about being in shape or I care about, you know, all these things, but then I'm not in shape. <laughs> and now it's like, now it's like I have to be in shape because I'm telling people that I don't drink because of fitness reasons. So relatable. Yep. Now, now I'm in a trap. I've caught myself in my own trap. I've told people I don't drink. And instead of addressing the real reason why I don't drink or maybe being able to just say, hey, I just don't drink because it just doesn't align with me. It doesn't feel right. Instead of making up some excuse that now I have to live into or I got to become, I don't drink because of fitness reasons. Everyone who sees me, they're like, well, you're not really in shape right now. So I don't really understand how that that, that makes sense. Or the worst, you're you're killing yourself because you've already told people that you don't drink because you're not in shape. And now you're now you're messing with your own psyche. You're like in your own head about things, avoiding people because you're like, oh, I told them I don't do this because I do that. And then you just see that rat race. That rat race is the worst. Instead of just thinking about if I'm not going to do something, why, what's the real feeling here? And breathing into that instead of making a KPI, which I think we do all the time. We just make a measurement. We just make a, we put a number, we do something that involves something that's, something that can be proved statistically. Sometimes the reason is just, I just don't like it. And, and you know what? Stats. 
you don't need stats. And you know, this is a really hard part of my journey before we just finish up with a quick conversation around failure is that I am literally in this moment battling making decisions that just feel good without an explanation. And I don't get it. <laughs> Truthfully, I don't understand it. I don't understand how to make a decision that feels good without a logical reason. It does not compute in my brain. If I want to not do something or I want to do something, I need to have a reason. I need to have logic. I need to have a purpose or an intention. It has to be for something. It can't just be after this recording. I, I struggle and not, it's not like it can't. I just, I really struggle with sitting for a second and being like, what do I want to do right now? Okay. Well, I want to go to the beach and then just finishing it there, just stopping it right there in that moment, it dead in its tracks and just saying, that's what I wanted to do in that moment. And someone would say, why? I don't know. I just felt like it. I can't just say, I just felt like it. It doesn't feel, it feels so uncomfortable to say that. So there's another layer of this, of one of the reasons why seeking out a successful life in whatever capacity you've done so is so difficult because it has to make sense to other people, or at least it feels like it has to make sense. Your decisions have to have logical reason and they pro probably should also sound like successful reasons. So there's this like force behind you that it just has to be this way. And that's a relentless and unfulfilling pressure. It's, it's, it doesn't lead necessarily to fulfillment or aliveness. It leads to rigidity and uh, logic, just only ever logic, no emotion, no depth, no feeling, uh, no human, just brain, all brain. And I just, I needed to add that in there because it speaks to, like I said, just a struggle that I have around just making a decision because that's the decision and not having to find the depth of my childhood trauma to figure out why I made that decision or because why I enjoy it or what I'm in rebellion of. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't get it, I guess. I feel like there's always a reason. <laughs> I feel like there's always a reason and I can't get away from that. Um, so I'm learning. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get into that process. And as you respond with your head nods, I can see that uh, it definitely relates to you. But we could talk about that forever. Let's just quickly get into this other conversation. Um, failure. Right. So we talked about success. We've poked at failure a little bit, but uh, I know that there are some perspectives and some narratives we want to kind of share around unpacking the concept of failure. Uh, but I, what I want to do first is can you go back to that list you, you read? You said there are certain things that come with failure feelings. Can you read that list back to me? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the some of the feelings that come with failure um, are the hopelessness, anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, disappointment, embarrassment, shame. Mm. There's a few others, but those are some of the some of the more potent feelings. Mm. And we can we can all kind of agree that we don't feel too positive about any of those words. <laughs> a lot, I don't a lot feel of like things I'm trying to obtain. Feelings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of negative feelings uh, that come with the idea of failure for sure or the thought of it. Mm, good reframe there. Just not even the feeling, but also the thought, the thought of what we fear or what might happen. The things we're trying to actively avoid when we pursue something or don't pursue something. So I don't want to feel any of that. 
And I, I am victim of that all the time. You know, there are certain ventures that I don't want to feel. That speaking story that you gave was bang on with, I don't know what the universe is doing with alignment today, but it's nailing it. it I'm trying to step into a different form of my business. I'm trying to do something that isn't necessarily dramatically different. It's just something I know I love to do, which is speaking. I love to speak. I love to teach. I was going to be a teacher in school. I took a full semester of it. I went into schools and was in a teacher's assistant in a few different schools. I love teaching, but I don't embrace it enough. I don't embrace that part of me enough. And, and the hilarity of it is, is that's what makes me feel alive is when I'm teaching. When, I'm, when I get the opportunity to support someone, educate someone, give them new pieces of wisdom, help them with something. I love that part of me. And so a next venture is for me in my business to start running more online workshops and maybe in-person workshops and just have that teaching side of me there. And yet I have not done it because of those exact reasons. Because of that same story that we just said, when you said, what do you think of when you public speak in front of someone? Because I'm thinking so intensely about the negative possibility and nowhere near enough about the positive possibility. What if it does fail? That's my concern. One of my fears, getting radically truthful here for a second, I fear no one will show up, for no one will care. Comes from my own traumas, but still that's my fear. So that's me only thinking about the negative possibility. What about the positive possibility? And the interesting part about it too, is anytime you ever try to build something or create something, what matters most is your energy. Where's your energy mm -hmm. being directed? And if my energy is being directed at no one's coming, then no one's coming. It's just the facts. You're just, you're just manifesting your own truth. Exactly. So if I want you more people no to come, come, yeah, no one's, no one's come. coming. <laughs> so it's like, it's normal and human to embrace the negative side of it, or not even the negative, just the survival side. What if no one shows up? Can I protect myself? Can I feel okay? Is everything going to be okay? Like, can, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? I read this crazy stat in a book that said our brains are checking. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Four times a second. And I was like, that's bonkers. But that can be perceived as negative, but it's not necessarily negative. It's just the thoughts that are coming up to protect you. So it's not that we want to stop those. It's that we want to understand what those are doing. And then also, can I do what my brain's not wired to do, which is think about the positive, think about the positive possibility so that I can get what I want. So that I can support people, I can be the teacher. But all of those other things fall into play too. What if they don't show up? Well, then I must be a piece of shit. Shame. What if one person shows up and I bomb it and it's one person and no one ever comes again? Embarrassment. Like it all shows up, right? In its own little way. And uh, it's the only thing that I find myself embracing in this moment, truthfully. I really want to do it and... I'm not embracing positive possibility. And what you're speaking to there beautifully is what we call a fixed mindset. Mm. Well done. Well done. Okay. Right. Tell them. This idea that, you know, failure is a, a limit of my abilities. Show up. You have one person in the room. You bomb. I must suck at this. Next thing. I can't do this. That's a failure. That that's a fixed mindset. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. A growth mindset would say, "A failure is an opportunity for growth." Why did I bomb? 
hey, do you mind filling out this survey? What didn't you like about the presentation? Cool. I'm, I'm humbled in knowing that I've never done this before and I'm not an expert. And therefore, there, there being one person in this room is more of a reflection of like, I've never done this before. There should be. Why, did you, why is there an assumption there should be a thousand people in the room when you've never done anything before? Mm-hmm. Where did that expectation come from? It makes, if you told me you've never done something before and five people showed up and you told me you've never done something before and a thousand people showed up, I would be more confused about the why the thousand person showed up. It makes more sense to me that five people showed up. Yeah. So why do you perceive that as a failure? Logically, that actually makes more sense to me. <laughs> valid. Big valid. Well said. And oh, all those five people thought you bomb? Makes sense to me. <laughs> right? Like, the, 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 But we don't perceive failure as if we're not logical sometimes about even the most logical things. No, like, you know, we use logic right. to drive us and then we won't use it when it's like, and then you won't allow your friend to give you that advice because it's too, almost too logical. I'm like, dude, why are you pissed off? I don't understand. You have five people show up to something you've never done before. Did you, yeah. think, you, were, did you think you were going to sell out arenas? Like you've never done this before. <laughs> so well said. It just gets to the truth of it, right? The hilarity of the way in which we think about these kinds of things. Uh, they're so like almost childhood story-like. It's just uh, in many ways make-believe, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, and the growth mindset there speaks to, you know, um, feedback is constructive. Uh, my efforts and my attitude determine my abilities. Challenges help me grow. I can learn anything I want. Failure is an opportunity for growth. You know, I think that in this world, we need opposites. So failure kind of gets a... That's why we've tried to reframe failure a bunch of times. Like you either succeed or you learn. We try to, we're trying to get rid of the word failure, but in, in society, we need like a polarity. We need like the opposite. We need, mm-hmm. we need like a word that holds the opposite is true, right? So you either succeeded at this or you failed at this. So we've tried a bunch of things of reframing it. We've tried to like, let, let's not even use the word failure. Let's, get, let's erase it with the word learn. Maybe that'll make you feel better. Mm. But if you just accept the fact that the word failure is actually how you want to define it. You don't got to erase it. You don't got to get rid of it. It's there. Based on the parameters of this five room, you asked a survey. The whole room said that you didn't do good. You bombed. Well, on the scale of failure and success, then yeah, you're probably on the fail side. But what does the word failure mean to you? That's the more important question. Mm. Because we try to pretend like it doesn't exist as if we're trying to like soften the blow of how it feels, you know? But if you can't, it can't hurt me if it doesn't have, if it doesn't have, I can change the definition of failure for myself. And therefore you defining it as failure is accurate. And my interpretation of failure is also accurate. So we're both right here. I see failure as an opportunity to grow. And we've objectively said that this five person workshop was a fail. I'm okay with that. I know, I know the F just means room for improvement. Instead of masking it. Yeah, I, I hear you. That's, that's valuable too. I've definitely veered away from that word for a long time. It felt like the harshness of it was abrasive and unhelpful. And then I ended up coming back full circle and saying, no, actually the abrasiveness of it is actually really helpful 
to my journey, but the difference is, is this, when it was abrasive and difficult for me to process, it was because I was taking a shame-based approach saying, I am a failure. It's personal attack, personal attack rather than a, uh, opportunistic and even almost remorse type framework of, um, you know, I am not a failure, but my actions in this led to a failure. It's more of a result than it is a humanness, uh, some sort of part of me. So that was one of the biggest reasons uh, is that I just did, I didn't have my own definition of it. I was living off of somebody else's definition and also taking it on, like you said, as a personal attack, a personal identity that if this happened, then I am a failure because they probably view me as one. Therefore, I am one. Powerful. Powerful. So uh, with this conversation, um, something that I, I think that's important to note, we didn't get to it, is the concept of identity that's wrapped around in all of this. And maybe that's a larger conversation, but um, something that you said in preparation for this was, is, is success like a centralized focus of identity? Like, do we need to be seen as part of who our identity is, is a success? Um, and what does that do to our journey? How does, does it help us? Does it harm us? Same thing with failure. Are we so worried about the identity of self being perceived in that way uh, rather than like trying to create and be opportunistic with it or growth mindset with it? Uh, there's something to be said about that journey of, of identity. And, and we've had conversations with people that um, it, you can just almost tell sometimes when you're talking to someone that their pursuit of their identity is to just simply be seen as a success not to feel as if they're, you know, serving or they're purposeful or they're intentional or their character is a specific way. It's just to be seen as a success. So I think that's just a really helpful question to almost bring the conversation to a close before we get to our hot, um, hot takeaways from today is that um, success and failure are they can be part of your identity if that's something that you choose. I think it's just knowing what comes with that and why. Why is it such a, an intense focus for you? And is it helping you? Do you feel alive in the process? Do you feel fulfilled in the journey? Do you feel like, um, do you feel good? Or do you feel yourself reaching for other things because what you've obtained isn't good enough still? the sense of aliveness for a lot of people is I have seeked out all the success. And then because they've gotten that point, well, they find themselves reaching for drugs because that aliveness wasn't the, I don't want to say the right approach, but it was one that didn't really serve them. It wasn't the helpful journey of aliveness. It was one that was probably predicated on somebody else's vision of their life or in rebellion of someone telling them they're never going to be good enough or never great. So they did it for that case and it felt made them feel alive and then it was over. They got there. Shit, I've been feeling this aliveness, this fake aliveness for so long. Now I need to go find it in a no, more fake ways. There's so much in there. Uh, and I think I just want to bring that to the surface a little bit more to help us understand what we said today, which is that um, that aliveness is a feeling in your body that you can kind of create and be a part of. It's always there. It's always accessible. It's not gone forever. It's not missing. It just needs to be discovered again. It just needs to be tapped into and it can be along your journey and failure and success isn't an identity to take on 
um, in my perspective anyway. It's just more of a behavior, if you will. It's more of just a, I don't know, a, a concept to, I don't know, wrap around this human experience, to wrap our minds around this human experience and where we're going. I'm going to stop there because I can hear my philosophical nature taking this to a really far depth level that's not necessary. Uh, Let's get into golden nuggets. Let's get into our takeaways um, from your experience with success and failure in the journey and getting into this identity stuff. um, Is there a specific piece of knowledge that you would say maybe to your younger self or is there something that you're currently navigating that you'd like to share or a tool or practice that's helped you discover this new sense of success and failure in a way that actually serves you what, what would you leave the audience with in regards to that i think in regards to my golden nugget for the day um, i think there was a lot in the conversation that kind of spoke to my experience and um, i think that you can you can kind of take some of those so with those golden nuggets with you i think i want to leave more of a, of a question that kind of piggybacks off of what you said um i think the question that kind of comes from me with this identity of success is I want you to think about which would you rather, would you rather the identity of I am successful or would you rather the identity of I don't fear failure and ask yourself which one has more longevity. I love that reframe and it sparks a download for me to add to that for my golden nugget is, um, Mm, it just evaded me, but it was essentially saying that the more quote unquote successful you want to be, the way you measure that is by how often you've failed. And it just gives context to that you're not reaching far enough. You're not trying enough. You're not giving or doing enough that might not work. And because then you never know what could work because you're not trying anyway. So getting into the, almost the comfortability quote, quote of failure is really one of the most beneficial ways to get you into that level of success that you want, whatever that happens to be. Uh, even if it is aliveness and depth, I'm going to have to go to the beach because I said, I want to go to the beach and that's tough. And it doesn't, maybe I don't go and then that's a failure, but at least I tried at least I put myself in that position kind of idea. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Both of ours came back around a failure. I love it. But um, that's the podcast episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. If you have any more thoughts that you want us to dive into or unpack around success, failure, and the journey, please let us know. DM us at Modern Masculinity and let's start. Let's continue the conversation. This is just the beginning and this is not a space where we bring something to a finite end. It has infinite possibility and we want to make sure that you as the listener feel embraced in your part of this discussion and that you feel that you have value to add because we believe you do and we want to hear it. So let us know, DM us, email us, modernmaskunity at gmail.com with any questions or sorry, answers, answers, any questions that you have or topics you want us to unpack. We'd love to do so in regards to men, masculinity and manhood. And uh, this was another powerful one. So thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community 
to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember that it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.